So we were in there for about an hour and a half and they only show 10 minutes or so, maybe less. But you have to stand on a little cross like this big. Yeah. And it's marked out for you. You can't move. You can't drink any water. You can't stop. You're just talking that whole time. Hello and welcome to the investment season of How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting or scaling a company. Hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of the B Corp certified PR communications and podcast consultancy, Fallowfield & Mason, where we teach you how to own your PR in-house. With episodes of Dragon's Den often reaching millions of UK viewers, the show is a brilliant platform for entrepreneurs to seek investment while also promoting their business. So in this episode, I wanted to speak to someone with first-hand and recent experience of the show. Rowan Radhukrishnan is one of the co-founders of Quarter, the acclaimed Quarter Strength Spirits brand. Having founded their brand in 2021, Rowan and his co-founder Fabian quickly went after an appearance on Dragon's Den as part of their marketing as well as investment strategy. Thank you, Rohan, so much for joining House Startup today. Before we get into the nitty gritty around Dragon's Den, I'd love it if you could introduce who you are and a bit about the brand that you started. Yes, perfect. Thanks for having me and Quarter. Yeah, I'm the co-founder of Quarter. We are a low alcohol spirits brand. We launched in 2021 with our London Dry Gin, and we've subsequently launched a uh, Quarter Tequila and we've got a couple of pre-mixed cocktail uh, products as well. The whole brand is built around sessionable spirits that are targeting moderators with more choice around, we say things like all buzz, no blur. For us, we set about on a journey to deliver flavor and experience at a lower ABV, and we've cracked it through a lot of hard work. So why did you start in 2021, given that we knew what had happened in 2020? So my co-founder and I were 11 when we first met and we're now almost 35. And he came to me with the idea in lockdown. His background was in hospitality, owning and running restaurants in, in central London. And he saw the rise of this non-alcoholic face with regards to spirits in particular. And he was stocking them in his restaurants and he felt that though some of them delivered flavor, what was missing was experience. And we believe getting tipsy is the best part of drinking alcohol and we do drink alcohol for a reason as a culture, and that is not only for the flavor, of course, and the ritual and to feel a part of it, but we also do it to feel. So naturally, we thought that there were limitations with non-alcoholic products, even though they could replicate flavor, they couldn't replicate that experience. So no. he came to me with the idea, and I think we had always discussed starting a business together. My background was always in branding, design. I worked with a lot of the big booze companies like Diageo. Pono Ricard, LVMH, and had a good knowledge of how to launch a brand in that space. And when he gave me the phone call, it hit me in the stomach because I'm a total lightweight and I don't like the impact that fuller strength alcohol gave me in terms of not only on the evening, but definitely the day after. I really struggled with things like anxiety and the physical side effects that overconsumption of alcohol gave me. And at the time I was running my own business, I was then going on to start another business, which is Quarter. And it just, as I got older, as they said, hangovers get worse and I just couldn't do it anymore. And so I went sober for a year and that didn't deliver what I was looking for. And now recalibrating to this space and that is moderation. And that could be across when I choose beers, I'm very conscious that I want it to be 3% or below, or if I'm drinking wine, I'm very aware of how strong it is and how much I should have. Or if I'm drinking spirits, having something like court that allows me to be in, involved in every round, still get that 
flavor, that experience, that buzz, but not ever risk the blur, as we say. So that was the light bulb moment. So from the conversation when he picked up the phone and suggested this to yeah. launch, what's the time frame around that? So he, that was probably early 2021. It was one of those really surreal moments. I said, that's really interesting for all the things I just rambled about. And I said, how strong would you want to make it? And he said, I don't know. What about like quarter strength? And I was like, let's call it quarter. And then that was it. We never looked at the name again. That was just, it was going to be a quarter gin, a quarter tequila, a quarter margarita, a quarter Negroni. And then we jumped in from there. And from that conversation to the first bottle, to the first final product? We launched in September 2021. We raised the money off a debt and no liquid. We raised an initial amount of money to get it off the ground. And it was people bought into this new territory. A lot of, of work had been done in the non-alcoholic space and continues to develop. But I think we were doing something totally unique and different. And there was a lot of appetite to get involved and see how that would grow over time. Looking at the data, less than 20% of UK adults are teetotal and many of them didn't drink alcohol in the first place. And if you don't drink alcohol for ethical or religious reasons, you're often not looking for a non-alcoholic gin. You're probably having a soft drink. So we thought there was a really big opportunity to target the majority who, as we know, are wanting to cut down and drink less we were offering them a seamless way to do that. So you had the idea, you had the conversation, and then you yeah. knew you needed investment to even yeah. start. Yeah. You said you put a deck together. Yeah. What then? We actually invested very small amount of our own money on building the brand. So mm -hmm. we went to an agency and built the brand identity, the packaging mock-ups, the brand world we wanted to create. We even looked at like our marketing strategy. We did a lot of research and that initial deck really painted the picture for what we wanted to build. It was in six months. Yeah. And I think yeah. often people will, in this world anyway, this space of alcohol, they'll develop a liquid and take that to get people to taste it. But because it was a new category, we needed to really showcase what this would be and how it would look, walk and talk so that people could buy into what we were going to do and why it was different. Then we went to raise money and like any fundraising process, We've been through it three times now. It's daunting at first. You have to really scrap to get the first 50% over the line. And then things pick up momentum. People see that there's belief in it. And then the last quarter is normally a bit easier or quicker. What I had always done as a career was pitching and telling a story. And I think that's what investment and raising money is about. Yeah. We didn't even have a liquid. It was people buying into you and your belief in what you're building. Yeah, articulate your business and your passion. And there's a yeah. lot of stages when we teach families how to do their NPR. It's like, can you say it in one breath? Somebody else understands it. But when you're going to people for money, you need to be confident, articulate, succinct, build trust and that transparency. But given this episode is around Dragon's Den, talk me through that journey of you and your business partner talking yes. about how to go after investment. What led you towards Dragon's Den? So we had at that point launched the brand and we were like everything trying to find marketing strategies to build awareness. Yes. Yeah, so we had launched the brand. We didn't film Dragon's Den until early 2022. I'll, I'll talk in more detail about the process because it's a long one. So the idea to approach Dragon's Den was about building brand awareness. Obviously you have to go into it with the mindset of securing investment because mm -hmm. 
the process is very rigorous. And if they think you're only trying to do it for TV time, they will suss you out. But we had a very particular scenario where we would have accepted investment and from a particular individual and under a particular set of terms. So I guess without wanting to downplay the power of the show, I think there is a lot that we learned throughout it in terms of like how viable it really is in terms of receiving investment and how many investments actually go through. And so I don't, I really feel bad when I talk to people about it because people love the show. But when I le- went through the process, we learn that a lot of it isn't what it seems. Yeah. So for us, I think deep down, we went in there thinking these are the terms we would be open to getting investment if this happens. However, we really wanted to gain a long slot feature on the show mm. and have an opportunity for 5 million people to see our brand. So I, that was probably the number one motivation, but I don't think you're able to achieve that unless you go in with a really honest approach. There's a lot of Dragon's Den that will end up on the cutting room floor. And I think we'll probably get quite disheartened about how many people go on and will never see the light. That's the thing. People just assume everyone who goes on gets shown, but obviously there's three formats that you either get that little snippet that it's like Rowan came on and had this interesting gin and left with nothing. And Mm. then there's the ones that just don't feature at all. And then there's the long features that obviously are where they're getting a lot of drama out. So you were quite tactical in what you wanted to get out of this. And you mentioned it's quite a long process. Could you give us a top line overview as to how that works? So I think from the moment in which we made contact with them to explore, yeah, going on, that probably took nine months before we were even in the studio. So we we had to make a, a recording on our computer or on a camera of us doing a pitch. So we had to do that. Which we'd done before to other investors, so felt quite confident with that. Yeah, yeah, but it's always weirder when you're recording it. But yeah, no live feedback. So yeah, we did that. Then we had to go and do a a video interview like this to a panel of producers. So again, they're just trying to get a sense of you. Absolute casting. Exactly. That's what it is. And so once they get through that, then it's into the due diligence process. So this was rigorous. If I stole an apple when I was eight, they knew about it. And they needed to vet every claim we made. So if we said we were stocked in Soho House Members Club, they needed an email from the buyer to confirm that they had made an order. We were like three months into our business at the time. It was so early days. We were desperate to get sales. And then I'm having to chase buyers to to prove that they had bought it. And they were like, what do you want from me? But anyway, the producers needed to see everything because I guess if you think about it, you could go on Dragon's Den and say, I've started a bicycle company and I've sold 2 million bicycles. Can you give me a million pounds for 10% of my company? And they need to check that was real. So Interesting also, I'd say the buyer at Sober House would be, hang on a minute, these guys are in the shortlist for Dragon's Den. I'm going to buy more of them. They, it works for them too because their brand yeah. awareness will go up. So the brand positioning in your stakeholder market is quite interesting from this process yeah. as well. You're having every rock picked up. Definitely. And we've just gone through B Corp and it took us nine yeah. months to get it. And it was a similar thing. That's but quite when quick. You, thank you. It took us over I, a year. Yeah, that was really, that's impressive. We're a service-based business. I think it's a bit less hot. There's, there's less <laughs> in the supply chain. and Yeah, true. Yeah, we yeah. stuff. But yeah, it's a case of when we got it, that validation of, hang on, this third party has picked up all of these rocks and prodded and posted mm-hmm. and we're good. So for yeah. you, 
Is it a case of we've got the answers? It's just quite a lot of legwork and time to put into this. Yeah, it's a lot of time, a lot of back and forth. And this runs up until the actual studio shoot as well. The producers are there. They know all the information that we've given them around, like business that we've generated, customers that we have. During the recording, if they felt we were lying or saying inaccurate information, they could stop the, the shoot. At any so, point. Yeah. Okay. So if I said on paper, this is what we've done and these are our customers. And then once I get into the studio, I start saying we are stopped by Young's pubs and whatever else that wasn't true. They would put their hands up and say, sorry, guys, we had to stop the recording because this isn't accurate. Wow. I really respect that, though, that editorial Definitely. integrity. People can make up anything. And especially in any part of business, transparency is key. But the fact they vetted it to the very end. Yeah. And it, did it, it wouldn't have kept you on your toes because you would have only be answering honestly. Yeah. It was quite good validation of, yep, I know that. Yep, I know that. Or did it fill you fear? Were you media trained? We weren't media trained. We went in there under the terms of a investment round. So the producers weren't too happy with our valuation. Mm-hmm. At the time, we were offering 2% of the company at a 2.5 million valuation. And we had only been trading for around four months. Go hard, now, go home. <laughs> yeah, they knew that this was going to ruffle the dragons. So up until five minutes before we went into the studio, they were in our little dressing room saying, are you guys sure you want to go ahead with the valuation? And we were like, yes, we built all of our models off this. Any financial conversations or questions around projections, results is all built off of this. So that was the only part where I was like, this is really now messing with our preparation. But otherwise you can, you can prepare accordingly. The day itself was one of the longest slogs ever. They said to get to the studio for 12 midday. And that meant I got up at five to, to start rehearsing. So I was just freaking out. And then when we got there, they said, there's all these other founders in this green room area. They're all getting ready for their pitches. And they said, look, because you're alcohol, albeit low alcohol, you need to be the last session. And we were like, okay, so when is the last session? And they said, that depends on how all the other pitches go. Because if you think someone walks in and just freezes and doesn't have anything to say, then they leave. That pitch lasted 30 seconds. If they go in and nail it and they're in there for an hour and a half, then they're in there for an hour and a half. Turns out everyone on that day nailed it. And we didn't get into the studio until eight o'clock at night. And I was exhausted. And it turns out it was the last day of the filming series and the last slot of the filming series. And the dragons were absolutely toast. It turns out they had had a big night the night before at their rap party, and which kind of played in our advantage as well. You have a solution for them. And we have a solution for it, which yeah. they joked about as we walked in, yeah. So when you burnt through all of your adrenaline by 8 p.m., when you walked in, how long were you in there? So we were in there for about an hour and a half. And they only show 10 minutes or so, maybe less. But you have to stand on a little cross like this big. Yeah. And it's marked out for you. You can't move. You can't drink any water. You can't stop. You're just talking that whole time. And you're next to the co-founder rather than looking at them. So you have to read their body language, I imagine, of who's going to go next and who's saying what. Is there any advice that you give people who are thinking about going for Dragon's Den? Just to summarize what happened, we got offers for all of the money that we were asking for, but they were asking for too much equity. So we went to the wall twice to like talk about it with my co-founder Fabian, which again added a lot of drama. 
And then we ended up turning them down, which was also quite rare, I think. And they all made comments that you've made a mistake and just good TV. But when it got to airing it, which was probably over nine months after that, five million people saw it. And as you said earlier, the conversations that open up off the back of it, even people knowing that you're going on, like we run listings, other people are posting about us saying we've got a brand that's featured on Dragon's Den and the reach of the program is massive and people do love it. I was even mm. on a sales day in Bristol last week and someone came up to me and was like, oh my God, you were the quarter guy from Dragon's Den. And I was like, that was probably the first and only time someone recognized me from it. But it, the reach is big. Well, you've done so, your own PR. It's yeah. fantastic public relations you've got yeah. out there you've reached a huge audience a captive audience of people that would enjoy your product at home so what we do with clients is work out their audience segmentation of who is your perfect client where are they getting yeah. information and get to them that way you've done exactly that so even walking away with no investment it was a successful venture for you it was only until the day it airs do you know if you have a full feature or a short feature mm. and so but yeah, results-wise, off the back of it, apart from awareness, you know, you have a huge spike in sales from our D2C customers, Amazon, record days of sales. And that also continues for quite a period because people watch it on iPlayer, on catch-up. So sales trickled in. We had 65 customer acquisition outside of London and we retained customers, which was brilliant. And D2C as well. It's, it's fantastic because yeah. they're watching it at home where they they're want to enjoy your product. Yeah, and people buy from the show. They look at it and go, I like those guys. They're giving it their all. And I like the sound of their product. I'll give it a go. And yeah. that definitely happens. So I think when you ask what's the advice, apart from the awareness, the results, you have to do it if you have the opportunity to. And yeah, I would always encourage people to do it. But no, it's a long and difficult process. Well, it sounds like a long and difficult process, but all of the due diligence, that will set you up for success for other pitches to other investors, okay. presumably. So yeah. you are now incredibly trained and ready for any other investor conversation. It's not a waste of time. Had you not been on the TV final mm -hmm. edit, would you have said you would have done it anyway for that experience? Been I think it would have taken time to get to that conclusion, but I think you, you initially I'd have been like, that was a complete waste of time and energy. But I think in, on reflection, as you say, you'd probably say we learned a lot from even just going in as two mates and feeling the pressure of all the cameras and, and them asking very probing questions. I think that's only going to benefit you as you go and pitch for investment elsewhere. Yeah. Presumably now you've been trained to an inch of your life or practiced to an inch of your life. So you won't dread any other raised conversation, I presume. A hundred percent. It was the most nervous I've ever been and everything after that pales into insignificance. Yeah. Do that with a hundred cameras in your face. You can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. So where did you end up getting investment from if it wasn't Dragon's Den? So when we went into the den, it was a weird situation where we were already halfway through an investment round. So they, the producer saying, are you happy with the valuation? We were like, we've already raised half the money at this valuation. So it was a weird situation where the timeline of when we went into the studio actually aligned with us being in an investment round. They obviously didn't particularly like that because they want to be the only people investing. So yeah, we then just cracked on with the rest of the round and, and found the money and work. But I think, you know, weirdly, some of our existing investors said, if you had taken money from the dragons, we wouldn't have come back in. So that's interesting. How come? I don't know. Was that I Angel think, or friends and family? Were they coming? Yeah, Angel investors, family offices. I think when people understand what's really involved with the investments, even if they go through, I think there's an appreciation and understanding that. It, it might not be as much of a value add as founders think. So founders mm. can do away more equity or explore discounts or 
think that this is going to be the sort of golden ticket, but when you really think about it, do you think a dragon as busy as they are, is going to be on the end of the phone to us when we have supply issues or we want to break into a new market? Are they going to sit down and strategize with us? They're not, mm-hmm. I don't believe going to be like a real value add at the end of the phone. And I think other investors will probably look at it and say it's unfair for them to get any preferential treatment or for them to come in under a different set of terms because they are who they are. And unless they're willing to get at the table, and I think you can see that with some of the other investments that have gone through that that Stephen Bartlett can get quite involved and and actually his profile and, and audience and awareness can help really help build brands. But that's my take from it. A lot of people have said this with investors, it's not just the money. They need to be opening their little black book or giving you support in other areas. They're invested, but they need to be invested in more than one way. So you're right. If the dragons are busy producing the next show or appearing on a press junket, they're not going to be picking up the end of the phone if you've had a sales crisis or something like that. Mm. And for you now with the investors you have, do you feel like you've got that close cohort who are supporting you in other ways? We've got some really great investors on our cap table who span a, a, a range of industries and, and have amazing experience in business. I think one advice I would give on reflection is that we haven't leveraged them enough. You assume they're really busy people, they're very high up in industry, and in the first two rounds of funding at least, haven't gone to them and said, we need your help. You almost want to always try and paint this rosy picture that everything's great. But really, the benefit of having them on there apart from capital is to guide you through certain things. And in this latest round of funding that we've done, we've had some incredible entrepreneurs come on board and they want to mentor Fabian and I, and really they've been through it themselves. So they know what it feels like and the challenges and how to get through that. And even we meet up and go for a drink just to things. It's like, this is what you need to be focusing on. And it, that's massively helpful because otherwise they're just a list of names on a spreadsheet. Well, those senior support that can pull you out of the weeds because there's so much going on all the time. I think those yeah. people that can just pull you out and be like, okay, big picture, what's going on? How can I help? I've yeah. definitely had a few people in my universe do that for me and it's game changing. It really yeah. is. And again, just having the sounding board as well that you can be like, ah, I'm stuck on this. And they just go, you thinking about it that way. It, it's fantastic. The first episode of the first season of this podcast was how to find a mentor because oh, cool. a, a very good friend picked up the phone and said, before anything else, get a mentor, get an accountant. I was like, oh, yeah. really? You haven't done yeah. anything yet. And he's like, trust me. I was like, okay, yeah. cool. So yeah. And I think also on the other end of it, it's great to have support when you need it, but also the opportunity to, to take a step back, as you say, and for them to encourage you as to what you're doing. And you forget about all the good stuff and they go, guys, let's be realistic. Look where you are, look what you've done. And that's a really great ability and opportunity to reflect. And, and it gives you encouragement and, and fresh energy to go at it again. I definitely felt that leaving these big brands behind. You don't have a gold document. You don't have a boss telling you, yeah. oh, I was really impressed by that. And actually... A client the other day took me to one side and said, I just want to thank you for all the work that you're doing for us. And I was yeah. like, I nearly cried. I was like, yeah. I don't get that anywhere from yeah. anywhere else. And it meant the world. And even yeah. the team saying, oh, I really appreciate that you took the time. to." And I was like, thank you. That Small things. And I think having people you respect around you that say, well done. Because yeah. a lot of people when they're debating starting a company and they think, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to have endless holiday. And I'm like, mm, good luck with that. You forget the things you're giving up and actually finding that elsewhere is so important. That's community almost. And just 
generally on investment, are there any big pitfalls that you have either done or seen people do that you'd recommend new founders avoid? I think answer all the questions for them. And that might sound really basic, but I think sometimes people overthink what they're trying to put down on paper. And investors are by and large time poor. They're busy people. They see a lot of decks. I think you almost want them to be able to flick through and sort of 10 slides. What's this about? And am I interested? And then have a conversation around it. I think you can see 40 page investor decks and you've got to think when you're sending these things out, are people really going to flick through them? And if so, what are they taking away? You almost want the in-person conversations or the video pitches just to be about rapport, them looking you in the eyes and saying, do I trust you with my money? Are you going to be hardworking? Do you believe in this? And when they say people buy people, I think really that's what investment is all about. You know, I'm pretty sure they know we're not doing this all for nothing. We're going to run away with their money and we're, we're doing everything we can to build it and be successful. But all of the sort of top line questions should be answered. What is yeah. it? What's it about? Why are you different? Okay. Now they just want to get into, do I like you? And do we get on? Yeah. That preemptive strike. And I think asking, again, this is very similar to PR and communications. It's saying the elephant in the room. And yeah. it, we've started writing a blog copy about why do I hate PR? Why do yeah. I have to pay for PR? Why do I never see results? Is it asking the things that people actually ask yeah. and calling the thing that you know is going to be an issue out from the get-go? And they're like, oh, yeah. well, you know the answer. You know my brain. I can bond with you further because you know what I'm thinking. Mm. And that preemptive strike is so effective. So something we do with our guests is we have a yeah. question from our guest before who wanted to ask you a question. And I would then like to ask you a question for our next guest. But mm -hmm. their question, which is quite interesting given our conversations just now, is if you had your time all over again, would you do it? I'd say absolutely yes, Dragon Den, for all the things we talked about. It's really difficult, time-consuming, scary, but anything that's worth working for is. And so that was worth it for sure. And then quarter, it's absolutely the best decision I've ever made. And it's really hard when people doubt you and they don't believe in it. That's difficult, but you've got to have a thick skin. It's conversations like this that also allow you to appreciate what you've done. And I'm sitting in our own office and we manage a great team and it's all, well, not all of ours, especially with the inv investors, but you built it. A lot of people take that. And I think that's so absolutely it's worth it. But there's a, obviously a lot in that that is very stressful, hard, distressing, but also brilliant and wonderful. And I think that was going to be my question to the next person was what gets you up in the morning and what stops you sleeping at night? And oh. I think it's quite interesting because it's just every day you get up and you go, what are we wanting to do today? What's going to make today great? And like we were mentioning earlier about getting sort of validation we will miss out on a tender for a retailer. And you're like, an email comes in saying, you, know, you, you haven't got it. And you'd be like, that's pretty tough. And then in the afternoon, you'll run a national listing somewhere else. And you'd be like, you almost become numb to it because you're like, that's brilliant. We've just secured our biggest ever customer, but we're not ringing bells and celebrating because you're just waiting for the next hit to come at you. And I think that is what gets me up. But then it's interesting to find out what people are really doing it for. 
Yeah, that's really interesting because I think a lot of people will say that, oh, I didn't sleep well and it's everything yeah. is worse in the middle of the night for some reason. Yeah. But getting up in the morning, it's so true. It's what's your motivation? And it's a really important question to ask because you are yeah. going to work harder than you've ever worked before. So what are you doing it for? Yeah. And I think it, as a team, we were chatting saying first of January or even the second, we're going to just go for a big long walk together and just talk about it. And just as a team go, what do we want to get out of the year? What's success look like to us as a, a collaborative effort, not just me? I can't wait. I can't wait to hear what they're going to say. But yeah, it's so important because then it keeps you going. It just, yeah, that motivation. Thank you. It's a really good question. It comes up with a good answer. I'll be listening out. Yeah, I'll let you know for sure. Yeah. No, thank you, Rohan, for your time. It's been yeah. really interesting talking to you and big congratulations on all things Quarter. Yeah, thank you. If you'd like to contact Rowan, you can find all of his details in the show notes, along with a recap of the advice he has so kindly shared. Thank you for listening to How to Start Up. I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd be so appreciative if you were to rate, review and subscribe as it will really help other people starting a company discover it. Of course, if you've got any questions at all on PR communications or podcasting, please don't hesitate to get in touch with me because at Fallowfield and Mason, we love supporting startups. 